Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our takeaways from the semifinals of the NBA playoffs. So, Jalen, what are some of your takeaways from the semifinals of the NBA playoffs? Um, so I guess the first thing would be to start in the Eastern Conference. They're the ones who got it jumping first. They're the ones who cleared the room in round one and never really looked back. They just got it jumping in round two right off the bat. And I want to start with the Bucks in the heat because although the Milwaukee Bucks won the game the other day on the back of Chris Middleton, who went bananas after um, Giannis Antetokounmpo went out with an ankle energy um ankle um injury my bad <laughs> ankle injury dude dropped 36 points had eight assists eight rebounds went bananas against the heat to keep their season alive but the miami heat have completely taken the nba world by storm they were the longest reigning undefeated team in terms of the playoffs going seven and zero at one point and it seemed as though they couldn't be touched I think the big thing with the Miami Heat is they blew this game more than Milwaukee wanted because they did a lot of uncharacteristic things that we hadn't seen from Miami basketball this season or in these playoffs. A lot of behind-the-back passes, turnovers. Goran Dragic just thought he was a sham god on a, on, a, um, on a fast break at one point, and it just completely backfired on him. I think that... This is a team that win focused. They're one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs, not just the Eastern Conference. But when they revert to things like that and play that unorganized, uncharacteristic basketball, they're a team that can that can, can can look like a flash in the pan, basically, and seem like a team that can get easily handled if they go up against one of these disciplined squads like Boston or Toronto. So I I, I look ahead to. Miami hopefully closing out this series in game five, but I think it will have a lot to do with how they respond after having such an undisciplined game in game four. I think that Miami definitely should have brought the brooms out for this series, especially when they were going up 3-0 on the Bucks. I kind of thought that with Giannis going down in game four with the ankle injury, it was pretty much over. I, I thought Milwaukee was – Going home, I thought this was an this would have capped off an embarrassing series on their part, um, especially mainly from the supporting cast. And really, wasn't until Game Four that when Giannis went down with the injury, that the that the guys like Milton and Lopez really stepped up. Like Chris Milton had that late bucket in Game Four that really helped them propel to a win that almost didn't happen because Tyler Hero hit a shot in the fourth quarter that I for sure thought would have ended would have been over. I, I think that should have won the game. I thought Miami would have had the brooms out going to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since LeBron was there. I, I think they would have been set. Um I I, I kind of wonder where where Giannis is at right now with his injury. I feel like the rest of the series is going to depend on if Giannis is healthy and if 
Chris Middleton steps up like he did in game four. I mean, I think that's huge. And obviously the whole Batman and Robin thing is going to be necessary. I think Giannis was in the back wondering where the heck that, that form of Chris Middleton was the entire series. I think they would have been a lot more in the series had Chris Middleton been playing up to that level of being the Robin on the team. And Giannis was primed for an exponential game um, before going down. I mean, respectively, he had 19 points in the 11 minutes he was on the court. We were talking about a dude who was not going to get sent home without a fight. And unfortunately, he did go down for the time being, and Chris Middleton stepped up. But we're going to need a lot more of that from Middleton down the stretch if they have any any hopes, basically, of not only forcing a game seven, but still propelling themselves to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think another series sticking with the Eastern Conference, obviously, would be uh, the Raptors versus the Celtics, which, Ryan, we thought that this was about to get ugly quick, kind of like the Heat, my, Heat Book Bucks series. We thought that this was going to get bad after the Celtics went up 2-0, and then... OG comes up crazy with a improbable three with 0.5 seconds on the clock. Kyle Lowry throws a rainbow pass over taco fall of all people, which looks like a mismatch by itself, let alone actually being able to get the bucket off in a perfect shooting pocket to put the series at two one Fred Van Vliet goes to, to the media, tells them the Boston, the Boston Celtics, they effed up. And then they come in game four and they tie things up 2-2 by winning 100-93. to With that being the case, this series has gotten significantly more, dare I say, competitive, dare I say, more exciting. But Ryan, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from this series for you, considering now that things are notched up? Well, the Raptors aren't the old Raptors, I'll tell you that. I think what we saw in game four was that they did. I think the Celtics messed up because I think down the stretch, Jason Tatum had that late offensive foul. I mean, Jalen Brown had a horrific shooting night from the floor. I mean, I think he only made two threes on 11 attempts. I think he missed his first eight on the game. I just don't understand why he went to the well way too many times. Um, And of course I mentioned the, the offensive foul by Jason Tatum with the Celtics being down by only five points, I think that if Tatum was able to get a shot off, then I think the Celtics would have been in a better position to win the game, possibly force a late turn, possibly force the Raptors to turn over the ball. Um, I just don't really know what happened except for the fact that I think Fred Van Vliet's right. I think the Celtics messed up, especially considering that rainbow pass from, uh, Kyle Lowry to OG and Obi for the game-winning three that OG knew was going to go in. I mean, he threw it over Taco Fall's head, considering the fact that Taco Fall that those were his only minutes of the game. He he served. He didn't really serve his purpose though, and I just think that the Celtics. I I thought they were a formidable team, and I said on the show the Raptors are getting swept, and. Two games later, here we are talking about how they're going to game five with the series tied at two. I mean, I think the biggest thing is I have two big turnarounds from some of our initial thoughts um, going into this series. One, 
I guess we found out that Marcus Smart is human. The Steph Curry memes have to get put back into people's back pocket because this dude played 41 minutes in game four and had eight points. Now, look, I know he's not one of the Celtics' primary scoring options. I understand that he's mainly one of their best defensive guards, if not defensive players on the team. And then you factor in, you know, the fact that they have a lot of other options to lean on. But Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown combining for 22 points on the night, not going to cut it, bro. 37 minutes for Jalen Brown, only 14 points, not going to work out. The other thing is that I think I may have underestimated the Celtics' ability to solve their big man problem. They had that one game where Tice and Robert Williams combined for 24 points. And since then, they've both pretty much come down to earth. In game four, they combined for 14 points on the night. Neither one of them scored double digits. I mean, I think the question at center for them is still screeching. And I think that that's what's going to really put them down in this series because when Pascal Siakam is on his 23 and 11 um, in game four, when Serge Ibaka <laughs> wakes up, he had 18 points in that game. Those are two guys who can really take advantage of the mismatches that the Boston Celtics present at the center position with their two guys not really being good offensive threats and not being that crazy on the defensive end either. So I think that the Celtics' weakness is starting to get exposed significantly by the Raptors, and that's what's going to make the stretch of this series extremely exciting as we go into game five. And you were saying that Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam combining for, I believe it was, what, 30 points and 33 points in games one and two, it was it was not good enough. And then here we are seeing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown not having great shooting nights in game four. And then, of course, the mistakes that they made down the stretch in both game three and game four. So shifting to the Western Conference – we start with the Lakers and the Rockets. And much like the Blazers-Lakers series from the first round, the Rockets took game one, but the Lakers came back and took game two. Jalen, what are you going to expect for game three? Man, game three, I expect the Rockets to get it together, bro. Um, I had the Rockets in seven for this series um, entering, and that had a lot to do with the fact that the star power evens up, I feel as though the Trailblazers were outmatched considering that Dame was already struggling um, in that series with injuries and then throwing in on top of that, the fact that this that team just played a ton of playoff games just to even get into the postseason. This Houston team is battle-tested, um, not just this year, but um, in past years being able to reach the Western Conference Finals here and there granted without Russell Westbrook, but the majority of the core is still there. Ironically enough, though, it's going to come down to Russ. Dude had 10 points last game. I mean, that's just, that's not going to work out. P.J. Tucker had 18 and 11. Listen, if P.J. Tucker is going to outperform Russell Westbrook, you're not going to win the game. Now, I will admit this. P.J. Tucker's ability to play against A.D. in this series has been significant. 
In game one, AD got no buckets on P.J. Tucker and turned the ball over twice when, when uh, guarded by P.J. Tucker. That's an extremely good sign. I also think the big thing in game one was that the Rockets were able to stand pat with the Lakers in game one in the rebounding department. They actually both tied for, at 41 rebounds in the game. In game two, the Rockets lost the rebounding battle 41 to 35. And guess who won the game? The Lakers did. So I think that the most important thing for the, for the Rockets is to try to stand pat as close as they can in the rebounding department, despite being undersized. And they need a good game from Russell Westbrook, like the one that they got in game one, because the way that Eric Gordon, James Harden and Russell Westbrook combined for about 70 to 80% of the Rockets points on the night in game one, that's kind of going to have to be a duplicable act throughout this series. If the Rockets plan to win and move on to the next round in the finals of the Western conference. So here's the thing about the Lakers and I hate to bring this up, but the past two games have been LeBron and AD carrying the load. And then at least one guy in the starting lineup and one guy from the bench having a pretty good game. That's all it's been. And that's all, that's the entire reason why they've really gotten to where they have right now, because it's basically LeBron and AD's team. I brought this up in the Blazers series. And I thought that was going to be one of the reasons why they would win, why the Blazers would beat the Lakers, because it's not even hard to see that this is LeBron and AD doing most of the work. Now, I guess switching over to Houston, and I think their small ball is working, but it's also not working. It worked in game one. It didn't work in game two. Um, I just think that, again, trying to find somebody to guard Anthony Davis uh, with a guy who's 6'5", and Anthony Davis is almost seven feet tall, obviously it's a little bit of a mismatch. But P.J. Tucker held it down um, in game one, and then it just didn't really work out for him in game two. Obviously, Anthony Davis had two great games in game one and game two, but I just think that you know the key for the Rockets is to make sure that you hold at least one of them scoreless. And it's going to be a tall task, but, you know, I mean, my, my money is that they try to do everything possible to double or triple team Anthony Davis and let LeBron do most of the scoring. Obviously that kind of sounds like, you know, LeBron James from 2007 going off against the Pistons, but I just think that maybe that technique might work for game three. But I think, you know, also Russell Westbrook with 10 points, in this game and game two, he's got to be able to share that scoring load with James Harden. But I also feel like he needs to get his opportunities to shoot the ball. Um, I think he's been a a great compliment to James Harden from this season and throughout the bubble. And I just don't, I just don't know what he's going to have to do next now. Cause like, yeah, he had 10 and 13, but he only had 10 points. And considering that Russell Westbrook is a very ball-heavy guard, he's going to need to just take some chances. He needs to just drive to the basket or just take an open three or try to just make something work because I think the Rockets are really going to need guys like James Harden and Russell Westbrook to score, but also they're going to need help from their supporting cast like Eric Gordon, Jeff Green, P.J. Tucker. I mean, yeah, bro. I mean, I think the biggest thing for the Lakers, the, the best thing that they can do is try to abuse the mismatch that they have. I mean, and 
I, I hate that they're not really doing it, but we've seen spurts of it working. AD having 34 points in the game, good sign. JaVale McGee only having eight minutes in the game, not as great. Uh, Markeith Morris having 23 minutes in the game and scoring 16 points, very good sign. Kyle Kuzma coming in and having 13 points in, in 21 minutes, extremely good sign. Danny Green playing 31 minutes and having nine points, not great. Basically, what does that exploit? Therefore, their, their forwards, primarily um, the main guys, obviously, being Lamar James and Anthony Davis, as well as guys like Kyle Kuzma and Markeith Morris, are the guys who are eating the most, and that's where it's translating. Their guards are clearly not being able to get it done. Danny Green, nine points. KCP, five points. Alex Caruso, in 26 minutes, had two points. Deion Waiters played three minutes, all goose eggs. They're not going to get anything from that backcourt. And unfortunately, in a series like this, where, where the Rockets have three guys in the backcourt who can all light it up, the Lakers' best chance is leaning on their big guys to get buckets in the paint and to try to put up a majority, if not all, the scoring load between those four guys with, of course, LeBron James and AD leading the way. I think the Lakers can do this and get through it if they play to the strength that is highly aware by pretty much anybody who has eyes in this series in terms of the size discrepancy that is in favor of them. On the Rockets' end, small ball is it's coming down to who is that third guy. In game one, it was Eric Gordon along with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and they came on came out on top. In this game, in, in game two, Russell Westbrook wasn't there, and PJ Tucker was your next best player. And I don't think that that's gonna cut it. I think the key to the series is whether or not Russ can be that third guy, or if if he can step up and be that second with Eric Gordon being the third guy, who be and actually being more consistent. I mean, I think if they have their three guy, they their three guys rolling, specifically those three cards, it's gonna go the distance. So I mean, regardless of what the Lakers do, I feel like the Houston has a really good chance. But the Lakers have to start exploiting this mismatch if they want to make this thing significantly competitive down the stretch. Moving on to the final series, Denver and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Clippers. I thought this series was going to be a sweep because I thought the Nuggets were coming off a a hard-fought series win against the Jazz, but like most of my predictions, I was wrong. Jalen, I have to I, I have to wonder because I think in game one, the Nuggets did not look great. In game two, Kawhi Leonard had one of his worst playoff performances of his career. And Jamal Murray looked like the Jamal Murray of the Jazz series where he just kept shooting the ball and it just kept going in. He was just he just he was just able to be a great contributor on the floor and not even counting that Nikola Jokic had a great game too as well. Jalen, are you worried about the Clippers? Yes and no. Um, I think that the Clippers' blowout win was just taking advantage of the fact that the Nuggets were coming off of one of the toughest series that we saw in this postseason. 
Um, going to a game seven is no joke and not having a full two to three days to rest in between makes it a little bit more difficult. Granted, the travel is alleviated, which makes things a little bit easier in terms of recovery, but it's still a lot emotionally um, to be able to just bounce back from and go out and play basketball um, after a game, a game seven of any kind, whether it's in the first round or the Western Conference finals. I think that this is going to be a series where it just comes down to what's the easiest way to put it. I think it really just comes down to really how can they hang with Jokic? I mean, in, in the first series against Utah, it was the Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray show. And for good reason, but I think that this is the series where Nikola Jokic has to be that guy. And in game two, when he was that guy, that's where things really benefited the Nuggets. 26 points and 18 rebounds. I mean, the dude seemed like he couldn't miss from three earlier in the game. And they don't really have anybody to guard him. You put Montrez Harrell on him, he's going to pass over the top, and he's one of the better passing bigs in the league. You put a guy like uh, Zubac on him, he really can't hang with them defensively to the point that Jokic can get just about anything he wants and is for enforced triple double and triple teams most of that night and was still converting. Now, at the same time, the part that makes me not worry about the Clippers is just the fact that I don't expect Kawhi Leonard to have 13 points on a nightly basis. We said the same thing about Paul George and what do you know, Paul George is walking into game two with 22 points and eight rebounds. We knew he wasn't going to be a guy who only scored 15 or less points throughout the likes of a series, especially as the, as the stakes get higher. I don't see Kawhi Leonard scoring 13 points for the rest of the series. And the dude still had 10 rebounds and eight assists on top of it, which is kind of uncharacteristic of Kawhi because you expect the 25-plus points more than you expect a double-digit rebound night or a near double-digit assist night. All of those things being factored in kind of leans it in a lot of different ways. I still feel like the Clippers get it done, but the initial thought that they were going to handle whatever team got to them, whether it was Utah Utah or the Nuggets, I think we got to throw that part of the window because I think the Nuggets got their swagger back a little bit in game two, and that makes them dangerous moving forward because they're a team that can hang with anybody when their mind is right. Yeah, and I thought the same thing with the Heat series where, you know, let's get the brooms out until Milwaukee wins game four. I thought after game one we should get the brooms out, but I was wrong. And I believe that Jamal Murray is still the same Jamal Murray that we saw in the Jazz series. Phenomenal player, on his way to becoming a superstar. And then now we have Nikola Jokic still putting up great performances in this series against – arguably a team that is slated to go to the Western Conference Finals and even a lock for the finals, the Los Angeles Clippers. And it's almost like the first series with the Dallas Mavericks, it was Paul George that was having these issues where he was really not getting off to a good start. He wasn't really able to shoot the ball and knock down shots. And now it looks like Kawhi Leonard's having this issue even though, yes, he has the 10 rebounds and the eight assists. But I just – it's just crazy that last series it was, it was Paul George. 
This one is Kawhi Leonard. I and then yes, you have guys like Paul George and then Lou Williams, Jamichael Green, and Montrezl Harrell stepping up and contributing points. But I my biggest concern is their superstars, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, much like in the Dallas series. I fear that if one of them doesn't have a good game, that it affects the performance of the team. And I feel like watching game three, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers bounce back because I feel like Kawhi is going to be a guy who puts up 25, eight and seven in this next game in game three. So I'm not really concerned about where the Clippers stand. I still think they win the championship, but this is going to be a tough task that they have in front of them with the Denver Nuggets. I mean, definitely, bro. I think the biggest question, like you said before, is, man, when are the Clippers going to get it all together? Last series, it was Paul George off, Patrick Beverly not playing in the series pretty much after game one. This series, it's we need Kawhi Leonard going at full tundra, full RoboCop mode at all times going crazy in order for them to get this this series out um, out of the way. Um, I think the biggest thing is similar to Dallas. I don't think we should take the nuggets as lightly as we, as we did coming in. I think we need to wake up on the nuggets and that first series should have given us a little bit better of a glimpse of who they are than what we thought. And I'm not saying that this series goes to seven or anything because I just genuinely believe that the Clippers handled their business, but this is definitely one of those series similar to the Mavericks where the Nuggets are going to push them a little bit, um, a lot more than we expected. And I think that it's going to be up to the Clippers to address that accordingly if they want to come out of this on top rather than getting upset by a team that they really have no business losing to. And that's a good transition to our question of the day for our fans. What are some of your takeaways from the semifinals of the NBA playoffs? This has been a great episode today of the Who Talk podcast. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate us five stars. And of course, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.